0: Well, I'm glad to be back with you. And for those of you that are guests here today, I'm Pastor Papal. Had my first grandchild uh, this past week, actually a little over a week now. Uh, Gail is still out there, so pray for her. She flies back today, and a test of our love, she arrives during the Super Bowl. My father-in-law called me, Jenny, your dad called me a a couple days ago. He said, hey, he said, I can pick her up for you. And I said, hey, no way. I'll be in the doghouse forever if I stay and watch that football game. Appreciate DJ putting together the bumper video. Can you see it? It said right at the end, 2020 Vision, can you see it? We're in the middle of a campaign, actually it started last week, and uh, called the 2020 Vision. You're going to hear a lot more about it over the next few weeks. Um, There are various things that we're going to be doing, building a new sanctuary, remodeling this building into a children's center. So, many of our messages over the next 4 weeks or so are going to deal with the subject of prayer and faith which we should be involving ourselves in, growing and learning more about. So, I want to invite you to the Gospel of Mark this morning. If you'd look there with me, please, Mark chapter number 8, and I want to speak to you today on the topic of restoring vision, restoring Vision. How many of you got a study sheet when you came in today? Anybody? Okay, good. You'll be able to follow along and take some notes. And we apologize. Many of you have figured out by now that the PowerPoint, the main screen is down. You can begin to uh, expect during a building campaign or during a faith raiser like we are in, you can begin to expect some problems. And uh, that's okay because the devil's got our number, okay? And if we weren't doing anything for God, he wouldn't be concerned about it. So uh, don't worry about it. We're just going to adapt and go on. We're going to kind of do it the old-fashioned way, although we do have some smaller screens for you. And uh, you'll be able to follow along without any problem at all. Helen Keller, the blind and deaf American author and lecturer, once said this. It's a great statement. Listen to it. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight with no vision. Sight with no vision. We have before us one of the most interesting passages of Scripture I think found anywhere in the Bible. I got to tell you, as a pastor, it's intriguing because God does something. Jesus does something in our text. We're going to begin reading Mark chapter 8, down in verse 22, that I don't know of another instance like this. He heals someone, but He heals someone, it appears, in stages. In stages. So I want you to see it with me. He's a blind man. Now we know that he has not always been blind. And I'll show you why in just a minute. But beginning in verse 22. The Gospel of Mark in the 8th chapter. Then he came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him. And begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Don't you find that interesting? I do. I see that verse and I think to myself, you know, many times in the scripture people bring people to Jesus. He just heals them on the spot. But this one he doesn't. He takes him by the hand and he leads him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. That to me is intriguing also. Why does Jesus ask a question he already knows the answer to? You know, he never asks any question in all the Word of God so that he can be informed. He already knows everything. But he asks him, he said, do you see anything? Verse 24, and he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Well, that ought to tell you something right away. Because how did he know what a tree looked like? Unless he had seen previously. Notice with me the next verse, verse 25. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. The the inference there is that he didn't want to look up again, but Jesus insisted on it. So he looks up again, and then the Bible says, and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. The Greek word rendered restored in this text literally means to return to a former state. So this man, unlike others in the Bible... That we know Jesus healed. He was not born in this condition. But he lost his sight. Now I find it interesting the Bible does not tell us how he lost his sight. And as we will learn in just a moment. It doesn't really matter. Because whether he lost it through a severe accident, whether he he lost it uh, even from birth, it it doesn't matter. Because Jesus is not limited in how he goes about. One one miracle is not greater than another with God. He doesn't have to exert himself more to do one thing than he does another. So the Bible says, then he sent him away to his house saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Very interesting passage of scripture. So let's do this. Let's uh, pick apart the text uh, using, if you will, four observations. And we can fill these in as we go if you'd like. I'd like to begin, if you would, with the town that doubted. So let's take a look at the town that doubted. Bethsaida was the name of the town. Very interesting when we see uh, this, this city. You've got to know a little bit about the city to understand more about what Jesus does in the text. I'm reminded of the story of the two men that were uh, fairly newly wedded and they were talking to one another and they said, hey, how's it going with you? He said, oh, it's going pretty good. And the other one said, you know, I I laid down the law with my wife right away when we got married. I told her when I get home, I want to see certain things. I want to see that... The dishes have been cleaned and the house is in order and, and the clothes are all done. And, and he said, well, how's that going for? He said, well, he said, a couple of days. He said, first couple of days, I didn't see anything. And then the third day, the swelling went down in my left eye. <laughs> and I could see a little better. Vision. What do you see? What do you see? What does Jesus see when he looks at the town of Bethsaida? There, there are a couple of passages that tell us a little bit about Bethsaida. In the Gospel of Luke, in the ninth chapter, verse 10 tells us that it was Bethsaida where Jesus fed, just outside the city, he fed the 5,000. They would have known the miracles of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to read this text to you beginning in verse number 20. We find this said about Bethsaida. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Verse 21 says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works were done in you, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Now, here's what the Bible is telling us. Bethsaida was a town that did not exercise faith. Now, we're going to come back to this thought later in our lesson this morning, but I want to give you this, and it's important that we understand. Some believe, I think Schofield is among some of those Bible teachers that believe this, the reason Jesus led him out of the town was because of the judgment he had already cast on the town because of their unbelief. Will God choose to work? This is an important question. Will he choose to work among an atmosphere or in an atmosphere of unbelief. We have to stop and ask that question. What kind of works will he do in a town? What kind of works will he do in a city? What kind of works will he do in a country? What kind of works will he do in a church where there is no faith or little faith exercised? Does he pay attention to all of that? Well, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 13 that in the city he grew up in, the city of Nazareth. I'll read to you some of that text beginning in verse 54. When he had come to his own country, he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all here with us? When uh, uh, were Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country and in his own house. Notice this verse, very important, verse 58. Now he did not many, or he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. If I were to ask you this question today, how would you answer it? And please don't say it out loud, but think about it. What is it that limits God? Now most of us, without it being in the context of a message like this, would have to say, nothing limits God. But in reality, unbelief limits God. He will not work where there is no faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, the first part of that verse says this, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Why should God do anything among those of us who do not please him? So faith is needed and necessary and he recognizes the measure of faith. And I say to you ladies and gentlemen, he took this man by the hand and he led him out of the town because all around him were those who did not believe. He wanted to remove that man from that setting. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Throughout the whole world. You know what Paul was saying to the Christians who were at Rome? He said, you've got a reputation. And your reputation is you're a people of faith. Well, that's the reputation East Point ought to have. Would you agree? And I think it's one that you do have. I think people know. When missionaries come through our church and they go to other places, they share what you've done for them and how you have responded, and they share with other people. When you go into your neighborhood and you find out things that people know and say about East Point, I think you're going to find that people recognize it's a church of great faith. And let's keep that going. Let's not stop. Let's not become like Bethsaida became. And I do believe they became that way. And may I suggest to you also, this man in his life once had vision, but he lost it. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, preacher, I I don't really know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And by the way, not knowing the Lord is considered spiritual blindness according to the, the, uh, the scriptures. And we'll come back to that thought. But maybe there was a time in your life when you did trust Christ and you are born again and you have that. But somewhere along the line, you've lost your spiritual vision, the spiritual sight, the walking by faith and not by sight that you used to do that you used to do let's talk about number two on our observations and we're going to call it the trauma that distressed that's that blindness the blindness you know on occasion the Bible actually tells us what happened to people we read about uh, Mephibosheth in the Old Testament and how he became lame we read about some people that are blind and the Bible actually says they were blind from their birth And and even on one occasion, the disciples said to Jesus about a man who was blind, said, who has sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? So we're given a little bit of insight. With this guy, we don't know a whole lot. We don't know. We know from the terminology used that it was restored. That he once had it, and now it was brought back. We find in the scriptures where this analogy is used, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 24, he was referring to the scribes and Pharisees. These were the religious elite of his day. And he said to them this, he said, "...you're blind guides who strain at a gnat and swallow a camel." Now that terminology is interesting terminology and literally if you were to go to a well and, uh, and pull out a uh, a scoopful of water, if you will, they would look through it and they'd pull out whatever gnat might be in it so they didn't swallow it. But what Jesus was saying was, you guys are ridiculous, you're, you're so petty about some things and then you're just swallowing camels. You strain in a gnat but, but you've got all of this other stuff wrong. And he called them blind guides. You can't see, but you're leading other people. The blind are leading the blind. And Jesus said both will fall into a ditch. In the Laodicean church, Revelation chapter 3. Would you look over there with me for just a minute? I want you to turn in your Bibles if you would. And there are many of us who believe, and I I preached on the book of Revelation last year, and uh, we believe of course that the Laodicean church is a representative of the time that you and I live, that is the last days of the church, just before the rapture takes place. And in Revelation chapter 3, down in verse number 17, uh, we find these words, Because you say I am rich, I have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now let me pause a moment. That's an interesting phrase. And do not know. And do not know. Now, why is that important that we bring up? What did Jesus say to the man after he had touched him the first time? He said, what do you see? What do you see? He said, I see, I see men walking as trees, so it's distorted, is what he's saying. Uh, I know they're men, and they're moving, but they appear like trees. They're just, they're just this, this blurred image that I see. That's what I see. And let me ask you this question. Have you really stopped to take in your own inventory about what you see? You see, that's why Jesus asked the question. Did Jesus know this man saw men walking as trees? Yes. Did Jesus know that this man did not see clearly? Yes. When God, way back in the Garden of Eden, called for Adam and he said, Where are you? Do you think God knew where Adam was? So why does God ask questions? He doesn't ask them so that he gains the information. He asks them so that we can take a personal inventory. It's important for us to acknowledge today what our vision is actually like. What is it really? What do you see? Do you see that God can do all kinds of things? Can you see that God may want to use you? Can you see that in the master plan of things that God wants to receive more honor and glory from your life and from the ministry of this great church? Can you see that or do you see things distortedly? What do you see? That's an important place to begin and that's where this man was. I find in the scripture where he says in in Revelation that I counsel you to buy of me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Our prayer today ought to be something like this. God help me to see like you see. Help me to see what you want me to see. And that's an important thing indeed blindness can occur when we don't add to our faith let me show it to you 2nd uh, Peter chapter 1 and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 9 2nd Peter chapter 1 I'm sorry verse 5 let me read verse 5 but also for this very reason giving all diligence add to your faith let me pause a moment add to your faith you say you have faith okay that's great that's awesome You trusted Christ as your Savior. That's fantastic. That is is wonderful. But have you added anything to your faith? Not for salvation's sake. You don't need to. But for growth and glory for God, have you added anything? Look at what the Bible says. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Now let me pause. Here's what the prophet is saying, or what what the apostle is saying. Peter said, here's some things that you ought to be growing in. From the day that you got saved, you should be progressing in your Christian life. That faith is the foundation. Now we ought to be manifesting all of these things in our life. We ought to be growing in these. And then he says this, verse 8. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things, look at that verse. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying if all you've done is trust Christ as your Savior and you've not let God develop your faith and add to your faith and mature you so that you are not without fruit, then you've become blind the scripture says spiritually blind we don't see the need we don't see the uh, we don't see how God can we don't see that God wants to there are a lot of things that we might not see but if we're constantly allowing him to grow us and develop us then we begin to see like he sees point number three in your notes if you want to write it in the trust that developed the trust that developed. I, I, love, this, I love this story because it, it is a gradual thing. It's a gradual thing. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I kind of see myself in this whole text here. Because, you know, the truth of the matter is, none of us, the moment that we got saved, we didn't instantaneously become what we are now. We didn't trust God the way we do now. We had to grow in that. We had to learn that it was okay. And the first thing he does, he takes the man by the hand and he begins to lead him. Now, I love this because the man didn't have to go. Am I right? He could have said no, he could have pulled back his hand. He could have said, I don't know what you're doing. This is my my comfort zone. I know where I'm at. I know where everything is. I don't want to go with you. But he allowed the Lord, hear this statement. He allowed the Lord to lead him. To lead him. He took him by the hand and he said, come with me. And so he led him and he led him out of the town. We've already talked about that a little bit. But but this trust begins by taking the hand of God and letting him lead us. There's a need to submit to his leading. There's a need, and this is an important term now, to be willing to let him lead. Some of us want to lead him. Can you imagine how that would have gone? The blind man holding the hand of Jesus and telling him, now let me lead you. And that is the image that we actually portray sometimes in our life. God, this is what you need to do for me. If you'll do this and you'll do that, then everything will be so much better. And Jesus said, no, no, you don't understand. I'm the one that should be leading here. Somewhere years ago, we bought into the old bumper sticker, the Lord is my co-pilot. He don't need our help, man. I'm telling you, don't make him your co-pilot, make him your pilot. Let him do, let him do the leading. He doesn't need our help to do all that. He, he knows where he wants to go and what he wants to do. So let us do our following. And then we see he leads him outside this city. And this is an interesting thing. It really is. Well, again, we're back to this idea of, of this uh, atmosphere of faith. This is important. Let me share with you a story found in Mark chapter 5. Just a few chapters before this. Mark chapter 5 and beginning in verse 35. The Bible says, While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. Now let me pause a moment. Think about this. Wrap your mind around this. This man has come to seek Jesus, that he might bring Jesus back to his daughter, who was very ill. Now, before Jesus can get to the daughter, he receives word. The daughter's dead. There's nothing you can do. Don't trouble him anymore. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, believe. But, but let's finish reading. This, this is good. Verse 37. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. That's interesting. I don't want everybody coming. The rest of you guys, you stay here. Peter, James, and John, you come with me. Then he came to the house of the ruler, verse 38 says, of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Now, can you picture all this in your mind? This is what's going on. People are are just, I mean, they're beside themselves. They're, They're crying. They're upset. They're wailing. The daughter is dead. And Jesus steps in and says, no, 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 no. She's not dead, but she's sleeping. Verse 40, look at this. And they ridiculed him. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what they said. But in modern day times, it might have sounded something like Are you crazy? Do you think we're stupid or something? Do you think we haven't checked her pulse? Do you think we're not aware that she's now cold? Do you think that we're dumb? What are you doing? And they began to ridicule him for what he had said. Now notice what he does. But when he had put them all outside. What am I talking about? I'm talking about an atmosphere of faith versus an atmosphere of disbelief. I'm telling you that God chooses to work in an atmosphere of faith. Put them all outside. He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, rise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. Can I ask you a question? When is the last time you were amazed at God? Has he changed? When is the last time your faith was so challenged that God did something that just amazed you? That you had to tell somebody what he did because it was awesome. It was incredible. Let me tell you what God, if you're looking by sight, you will never see him do. If you're going to ridicule his ability and and his willingness to do, you've got to understand he's not going to work in an atmosphere of disbelief. So he leads the man out of the city. He drives the people from the room. And he does the amazing Lord increase my faith that might be your prayer Lord help my faith there are at least three things the scriptures mention that help us with faith and you can write these in in the subpoints if you will they'll not come up on the screen for you but let me give them to you and then talk about them number one is the word of God number two is prayer and number three is fasting these are the things that increase our faith according to the word of God Let me go back to that with you. Number one, the Word of God. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I would encourage you to listen to the Word of God being read. I would encourage you to read it out loud. I would encourage you to get the audio and the CDs or listen to it online. To listen to the Word of God. The Bible says hearing the Word of God increases our faith. There are times I have sat in services where I've listened to psychobabble. I have. I've sat in them and I've listened about different ways that we can be encouraged and the Bible never be opened. And I think to myself, listen, God's Word promises it will increase my faith. It says nothing about the wisdom of man increasing my faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Matthew chapter 17 verses 19 and 21. Some versions do not contain one of these verses recorded here. It's also found in Mark chapter 9 down in verse 29 and the Bible tells us of a man who who came to the disciples and tried to get them to cast out the demons that were in uh, his son and they could not do it. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 17 verse 19 then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them because of your unbelief did you catch that because of your unbelief that is lack of faith for assuredly I say to you if you have faith as a mustard seed you will say to this mountain move from here or there or to there And it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. There are some people who believe when he said this kind, he's talking about the demon that was in the sun. But I challenge you to look at the text. He's talking about the faith it takes to accomplish the work of God. This kind of faith only goes out by prayer and fasting. The reason you couldn't do it, he said to his disciples, is because you didn't have faith. If you had faith even as a, as a small grain of a mustard seed if you had faith, you could have done it. And the reason why you couldn't do it is because you didn't have the faith. This kind of faith only comes by prayer and fasting. Amen. Some of the newer versions that go off of a different Greek text omit that verse. They give you the reference but they don't give you the verse in Mark chapter 9 verse 29 it said there as well he said to them this kind can come out by nothing but by prayer and fasting prayer and fasting increases our faith prayer is a sign of dependence on God I've said this many times in the couple of years I've been your pastor many of you have heard it that prayer is a is a meter that measures our faith our dependency It's a dependency meter. You pray little, you have little faith. You're not depending on God. You pray much, you've got more faith. Because the more you depend on God, the more you're going to go to God in prayer. Fasting is self-denial. Fasting is when we tell ourselves, no, there are different ways that this is done. Some people use a 24-hour fast where uh, tonight, uh, after the Super Bowl, for instance, you don't need another thing, you probably won't need to. (laughs) Tonight you don't eat another thing. Let's say you stop eating about 8 o'clock and you don't eat again until tomorrow night at 8 o'clock, a 24-hour fast. And every time you think about food, it's a call to prayer. That's a 24-hour fast. Others fast for many days, several days, and they use water and juices uh, to sustain themselves during that time. If you're on medications, you might not be able to fast without food. You might have to do it a different way. Some people fast from various things. I had a lady come to me one day and she said, you know what today is? I said, no. She said, today is the day I break my fast. I said, how long have you been fasting? She said, three months. I said, three months? She said, yeah. She said, I've been fasting from Frosties at Wendy's. <laughs> true story. It counts, she said, pastor, she said, you don't know how much I love Frosties. <laughs> Apparently, every day she gets a Frosty. And that day was the end of her fast. And she was heading to Wendy's when she got out. <laughs> she got out of church. It's a true story. So, I don't know what you're fasting from, but anytime you deny yourself and you think about that, it will bring an element of increased faith to your life. So, I challenge you read the word and pray and practice fasting. Practice it. And then, last of all, let me talk about number four, the fourth observation, and perhaps my favorite part of the whole story. I'm going to call it the touch that delivered. The touch that delivered. Imagine this. Jesus touches the man and he tells him to look up and tell him what he sees. He said, I'm, my vision is distorted. It's not clear. I see men, but they're like trees. They're tall and thin and they just, it's not clear. So the Bible tells us, He touched him again. God is a God of second touches. There's several places in the Bible where we find this. And it's a great thing if we'll allow the Holy Spirit to apply it to our hearts. It's a great thing. Elijah, driven out by the brook. And the brook dries up. 1 Kings 19 verse 7, and the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. Jeremiah, on a couple of occasions God used the second touch. The Bible tells us he was locked up in prison for no other reason than that he shared what God said. Jeremiah 33, verse 1 through 3. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time. While he was still shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it, to establish it, the Lord is his name, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Then there's Jonah. Jonah, go to Nineveh. No, sir. I'd rather be among the seaweed and the fish's belly. Okay? All right, it's enough. The Bible tells us the fish vomited him out. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to the message, preach to it the message that I will tell you. You know, the, the truth of the matter is, and some of you may be shocked by this statement, we're not always obedient to the Lord the first time. Some of us, it takes a little while to understand. Some of us are a little more hard headed than others of us. Now, don't look at anybody, I'm just saying. But most of us would have to agree that our faith has grown gradually and thank God for touching again and calling again and doing something again in our life. There was a time when you didn't trust him and then you set out and little by little, almost like this man's vision. You began to see what God could do. And you praised him and you thanked him. Here is a man who probably didn't have hardly any faith at all. As a matter of fact, did you catch the beginning of the story? He doesn't come to Jesus. Others bring him to Jesus. You see, the truth of the matter is, people are not going to just flock through those doors that need the Lord. Some of us are going to have to work at bringing them. And while they're in his presence... He'll offer his hand to lead them. And many of them will follow. And they'll trust Christ. But it doesn't mean somewhere along the road, like many of us, that we will not lose that vision somewhere. We don't lose our salvation. But somehow we started looking at things and walking by sight. We started thinking, you know, maybe we are all that. and Maybe we have what we have because we're all that, and we're so smart, and we have this wisdom, and we have that, no, no, no. I used to tell people, if you really believe that, go home and just tell God that you have everything you have because of you. But I don't tell people that anymore, don't do that. Somebody might take me up on it one day, and that'd be a horrible thing. Because God will show you that it's because of him you have what you have, and you are who you are. So today I wonder, First of all, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? And then secondly, have you lost your vision? Have you lost that amazement that God wants to do in your life? Is it not time to experience? Maybe our prayer ought to be, God, I see things kind of distorted. Would you touch me again? Can I have the second touch? the one that results in seeing clearly. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we ask your blessings. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. God, I pray your Holy Spirit will apply it to our hearts and lives and to this great church. Lord, may we always be a fellowship, a community of believers who are known for their faith. And let us never be as the city of Bethsaida, That you would have to lead people away from to find an atmosphere of faith Lord some of us today may be standing in need or sitting in need of a second touch so I pray today God speak again move again do things in your church here that you've been wanting to do for a very long time and start in us.